Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris. I am here with another edition of Surf and Sales podcast with my co-host and Wonder Bread t-shirt wearing uh, friend, Scott Lees, right. who always has amazing t-shirts and collateral uh, for everything he does. But most importantly, we're here with a, with a guy we've both known for a long time. Uh, socially, we've never really sort of interacted in a human-to-human capacity. So uh, what better time to do that than in, a, in the middle of a pandemic where you can't actually meet anybody physically? Uh, it's Justin Michael, for those of you who don't know. So Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm not an artificial intelligence. I do exist. Um, one of the greatest interactions I have with Scott all the time is that 30,000-person LinkedIn cap. And this is not a humble oh, brand. man. I think it's something we should all strive to do is maximize our social networks because it could be a topic for today. I can't tell you how many strangers have helped me <laughs> in the last yeah. 15 years on LinkedIn that I just accepted the friend request and they became a conduit to uh, some kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate you joining, joining me and fighting that, that fight. I'm never going to stop fighting it. That uh, 30,000 yeah. limit is absurd. I actually spent 30 and, and the worst part is like, they tell you, oh, go prune your network and everything. I, this is no joke. I just spent the last 35, 40 minutes or so going through and trying to figure out how to prune my network. And so I, there's no quick and easy way. I can't search by, um, you know, number of common connections or number of followers or size of the other person's network or anything like that. I can't mass like disconnect from people in any kind of way. So I went in and manually disconnected based on some criteria that I have from like 50 or so people. And then I had to go into my thousands of connection requests that I can't accept. And now I have 50 open and now I'm scrolling through trying to figure out who sent me a connection request that was meaningful and who do I now know, like on a personal level, what a shit show, right? Total shit show. It just spent over half an hour doing it. So full disclosure, I worked for LinkedIn in the empire state building and, uh, so it's so interesting because there's such a strength to the network, but I think there's obviously areas around search and areas around management of people and like growth of profiles where, you know, groups went away, which was a shocker. We all put so much uh, <laughs> investment into our LinkedIn groups and then the algorithm just keeps changing. I mean, that's another thing I post a lot and I've been doing the video posts every day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the the really good point here is for for sellers or sales leaders or the community is like, if you build up your network, um, you can come out of anywhere and be a brand. You can be a rep and start amassing thousands of followers. It's harder now because it's pay for play, but a lot of how I was able to do it was using Twitter. So every time I post to LinkedIn, I use that as the the hub and then Twitter as the spoke. And then I run hashtags across LinkedIn. I look at the hashtags. If you search on a hashtag, you see how many millions of people follow it like startups might have millions, you run the hashtags in your LinkedIn and then you push to Twitter and then you run the dual hashtag in Twitter. And so you're riding a wave to tie it to surfing of hashtags. So if something goes viral, then what you do is you make your Twitter, um, your website on Twitter, your LinkedIn profile vanity URL. So everybody that hits your viral tweet on Twitter comes and looks at you on LinkedIn and adds you. And then there's an unlimited flood of inbound connection requests. There's no throttle. So if you add 50 a day or 100 a day on LinkedIn, you'll go to LinkedIn jail. They just shut you down. What was in the case five years ago? So that's my hack. That's a secret <laughs> in the biz right now. I don't know if that still works. Yeah. That's kind of a cool way. The thing, that Richard, Richard, the thing I love about Justin is that he's like, 
infinitely smarter than me. No. Yeah. He's like right. so tactical and smart about all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, uh, I have too many connection requests. But what do I do? I just like the fact that I, I just sort of realized as Justin started talking is that I think, Scott, you and I are the definition of artificial intelligence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're faking that we have any intelligence whatsoever. Really what it is. So, Justin, just just again for context for folks, um, yeah. what is your title? Uh, who are you worth these days? You were at LinkedIn. You're not there now. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I'm a regional vice president of a company called UAPI, which is an Israeli Tel Aviv based retargeting company. Um, that word also, I know I did a post and, uh, Scott was like, it's kind of creepy. Uh, we're trying to be like, if you put your hamburger in a cart and you wanted the hamburger and we serve you an ad for the hamburger to bring you back in, we're not trying to, um, use ads to spam to death or be like below the fold or anything gray hat. So we're, we're trying to take a humane approach. The company has been around for like six years, uh, offices in 10, 10 countries. Prior to this, I've done other you know, territory roles. Like I was a VP of sales for Kachava, which is a mobile analytics company. I ran an East region in, in New York for Swerve, which was push notifications. And this all stems back to working at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, where really the dawn of push notifications and mobile was a, was a big deal. So I've just done a lot of SaaS startups, starting as an AE, going up to a director and running teams of AEs, then SDR teams, then regions, then VP, then RVP, and then uh, honestly, what I've been doing with social media allows me to hit total ad addressable markets really quickly. So what the thing I have been able to do is get really outsized results in the first 90 days in a way that makes like people I talk to a little bit incredulous of how I did it because there's just some methods that I've done. So um, yeah, these days I've got a team in San Francisco and uh, also in Tel Aviv in different countries. And we just, we work with the biggest mobile apps in the world, having them retarget and retain their users. How, how big is your team? Um, we're small. We're like probably a tiger team of five in the U.S. Um, worldwide, though, there's over 100 people. Um, it's interesting, right? Tel Aviv has become this hotbed of machine learning and AI with all these incredible startups uh, coming out there, and especially in advertising technology. Like you've got AppsFlyer out there and Waze and LivePerson. There's a whole bunch of uh, interesting ones. And it, do, it doesn't surprise me. Like I've, you know, as, as I've been to Israel, I went to high school there for a few months. Oh, wow. Um, they, they, and I think a, a lot of that in that entire region um, in the Middle East is they have to get massively creative to solve problems. Right. I mean, it's whether, true. It's, whether it's, you know, global, you know, whether it's peace in that region, whether it's business, they, you know, the, the resources in theory are, are smaller and more finite yeah. based on sort of the, the geography and the, and the weather. So they've had to become more creative for years, years. Like it's baked into the DNA of everybody from that region, um, not, not just Israel. So it, it doesn't surprise me that, that that happens at least. And again, look, that's all, you know, just a thought, right? There's no data. I have no data to support that. Right. So, um, so I think, it, I think it's super interesting. Um, what what I, I and this is something I learned when I was learning to sell to people in the region was that because that whole region has been so strife with war for centuries that the ownership of things physical things was always very hard because someone was always coming and taking stuff away 
So the concept of thought and owning your thoughts, and those are the things that, again, it's just sort of baked in from everything I've read and studied about it. So it's, it's very interesting. So I, I appreciate sort of your point that it's a hotbed, but I think that's a piece of why that's happening. Yeah, I've found the work ethic is extraordinary there. And yes. I've also found them to be, uh, these are positive generalities, which, right. you know, is this a gray area to say, but I've found them to be super hardworking and very warm in the region. Yep. And it's interesting where I've been fully remote for years now because I've been working out of Sandpoint, Idaho and Tel Aviv. And so this concept of, of how we're remote working it now, um, I mean, I think you can both relate to that too, right? Topically as, as uh, consultants and global trainers, you guys are kind of living out of a, a virtual world too, in a way, prior to all this happening, I think. Yeah, so Rich, I mean, Richard, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more new as I've only been in at this full time since October, but I had distributed teams for, for years and years. Nice. I want, I want to understand a little bit about Justin. So were you always entrepreneurial growing up? Were you the kid yeah. who was entrepreneurial? Did you want to go in sales? And, and for those who don't know some of these, these places Justin's been, you know, the concept is a little bit more about growth hacking and how do you solve this in an app world, right? How do they go into an app, make sure you're clicking on things or not clicking on things and then make really smart data-driven decisions. Like I've spent a little time in that space, but it's sales, but in a much more scientific way, which is what I love about those places. But um, yeah. where, where did it even come from in you and your, in your DNA to, to want to be in growth and sales mindset? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, my grandfather was a nuclear physicist with various isotopes to his credit um, on Long Island, where there is a collider, very similar to the Hadron Collider at CERN. I am, my life is a great squandering of intelligence. I always joke, my brother and I are like Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger and twins. And I'm <laughs> because my brother invented some things uh, in college and he's been at Google for 14 years. And, you know, I've been in, you know, I've, con I've basically like, thanks to Ben Sardella and a few other people, I've kind of like consulted some odd way, like a hundred startups. It's, it's like I lost track and he's just like, steady horse so he started building computers in his like 12 13 coding in pascal he was clearly gifted you, you study the bill gates and pirates of silicon valley i mean born in the right time had the right access to com compute and and got amazing so i just followed him to silicon valley i was in marketing and more in like nonprofits and social fundraising i was doing a lot of stuff on myspace i had a big profile there and uh my first job in silicon valley some friends and investors knew Joe Green and Sean Parker. So I got to work for causes.com and do a lot of really cool uh, advocacy and um, use a lot of these technologies and mobile apps and different lifecycle automation to help a lot of nonprofits. And then my best friend growing up, um, Ben Rattray actually started uh, change.org, which is totally crazy because we played on all baseball teams and soccer teams together, just a, uh, a, an ordinary guy. He has an interesting story. His, uh, his uh, brother came out and uh, was had a tough ru run and that inspired him to start change.org. So I did a lot of nonprofit work. And from there, actually, when Salesforce hired me, they're super cool. They're like, you know, we really appreciate your philanthropic work. Let's get you going on um, doing this lifecycle automation stuff. And I got immediately fast tracked into Indianapolis and exact target and working with some of the biggest companies in the world on these massive, like, email, social sites. This is the time of Radiant 6 and Buddy Media. And you're absolutely right. The technical pressure to learn this stuff for a non-technical like myself 
has been insane. I mean, that's where like off of social where I've invested the most time, uh, spending time with like the CTO, sales engineering, walking through the use cases, walking through the tech and really just understanding my niche, which is this mobile advertising and mobile marketing technology stack. The other piece in order to sell all the technology that I became freakishly interested in uh, is like the Max Altschiller, like sales hacks, sales tools, sales stacks. Um, I worked for a company called Outbound Works where we had a hundred startups where we did sales development at the same time for, and we used artificial intelligence and I got to try it all. I got to try connect leader and connect and sell and you know, every single tech stack in sales. And so that's also a passion. That's awesome. What were you, but, even as a kid, like, were you, you know, your brother was coding and doing those things. What were you doing? I was more into music. I was more into, you know, I kind of like, I was more into like music and marketing. I actually like in my teens, I, I worked in the Sunset Strip in, in LA doing more A&R stuff and scouting bands. And from there in marketing, I got into building these social profiles for, for bands and managing them. I never went to college. So like, like when I applied, is it, this is this is like more of a standard sales guy story, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I smart, <laughs> smart, but lost. Doesn't really know exactly what he's doing. Weasels his way around and actually creates success somehow out of nothing in this weird thing in a weird space, and then ends up in a place like Salesforce, and now is like succeeding in a formal kind of uh, you yeah know, sales sales world. I can't say it was ever something I thought I would do, but I, I got, I fell into it and I felt at first it was like, Oh, I have the gift of gab. And then I learned like challenger sale and relationship builder. And I was like, it's actually the questions and the listening. And then knowing like, it's funny. I just hired uh, an account executive who was the best SDR I'd ever seen. <laughs> and I said, the commitment for time is so hard. Now, if you can do that, you can do that with the commitment for money. It's just a slight, slight change in my view. So I, I'm actually yeah. here today in these positions because of some folks like you, some heavy hitter people like my uh, AVP at Salesforce. I've worked for him twice over 20 years, some, some GMs, some CROs. I have a, a mentor at Kachava who's one of the greatest salespeople I've ever worked with. And I've just studied them and emulated them and pushed myself. And one of the areas where I really fell down is about eight years ago, I really just started reading all the books and I just became a regurgitator of books versus like <laughs> let's apply <laughs> let's execute in the trench and like like your analogy scott of like let's get in the wave and fall because yeah. that's that's the experience like you can't learn to heliski in a book and then drop out of the helicopter you get a face plant and, yeah and expect to do it yeah, yeah 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 when did you start focusing on on your uh your brand you know you you talked a lot at the very beginning here about your hack to add connection requests and how you're utilizing Twitter and LinkedIn. Do you remember when you, you started taking that seriously and, and why, what was the impetus for that? Yeah. So 13 years ago when I was 27, I just turned 40, I was working for some VCs doing an e-education startup called let's cram. And we were taking on Facebook. Yep. That didn't work out very well. All the kids were on Facebook. Um, these VCs wanted me to hack social networks to see the tolerances, obviously for nonprofits. So I ended up, you know, having five LinkedIn profiles shut down. I always had every social network and like massively consumed them, mainly manual efforts. So for, for 13 to 15 years, I've spent 50 hours a week on LinkedIn. Wow. Uh, I'm always on, on my mobile. I, I use a special device, a pixel three to manage it just because of some of the coding, like 
the way that LinkedIn is coded, uh, the app is pretty, it can be different speeds. You know how it is, Scott, when you get these mega networks, it's kind of like crazy trying to even answer your inbox. So yeah. I have LinkedIn on all the time. Um, I've been building it for 15 years. About uh, 10, 12 years ago, people would come up to me at parties and like one guy hit me on the head. He's like, get out of social media. Like you're a freak. Like, get a life. <laughs> And now I look at like everyone I know is on an iPad on Instagram. Yeah. Right. So do you, do you, so I, I, we had this conversation yesterday um, with Colin Cadmus and, and, and yeah. he, he actually posted about it today. Um, but the conversation was whether or not having a strong personal brand um, is going to kind of be compulsory in order to get VP of sales, head of sales kind of, kind of roles. Um, and we, and, and we kind of dove into it and, and, my, my sense is like, it's going to become part of the job description. Like you have to be able to bring prospects and customers and uh, employees and, and, you know, even across departments and whatnot with you. And you, you save tons of money on recruiting. You get people to your company's events and things like that. Um, so I'm curious what your, what your take is on that. And then part two to the question is whether or not you feel like personal brand has much correlation with success or expertise. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, really, um, when I was 21 and had nothing and was working in telemarketing, I was willing to wake up at three in the morning and I went in with the top five reps and I sat next to them at three in the morning because those reps worked three days a week and went to Vegas and made 10 grand last week. What are you doing? I'll just miss sleep and sit next to you, Rich. Like <laughs> that was so amazingly, uh, 20 years ago, I was just that rep making minimum wage, hitting the ladder, became top 10 and 10,000. And it was sheer grit and determination and brutality. I, I would get up at two in the morning and listen to music and drive to the center. And like, I think the average uh, retention rate of these employees was like five days. I think Johnny Depp has a story like this. The manager who hired me at Salesforce knew me at that time. He said, I remember this kid. He was the grittiest kid. He said, you have the pain threshold to do this job because it's that hard. So I don't need to know, you don't need to know this tech, everything, like you have the grit and the, like I saw you at 21 and now you're, you know, 31, it can only be, you can only be better. So that was how I won that job. And from there, then I built these complex social networks around it. I don't think if I had the willingness to prospect, pick up the phone, innovate, really be that hunter, if I would really be able to still attract these jobs, only purely with the social network component because I've become known for that level of uh, delivery and, and willingness to do the hard things. But do you think, but do you think that the brand is going to become a additional sort of checkbox as people are going about the things that they're looking for in a, in a, in a, in a leader, in a, in a sales leader, or even a marketing leader for, for that matter, right? It, it, they're looking, do you have experience? Have you led teams before? Have you built a company? Have you scaled it from X to Y and so forth? Or do you have a brand? Can you reduce costs of, of recruiting? Can you bring team members with you? Is it going to be, is it an additional part, you think, of the, of the, yes. of the role? I mean, the, yes, I heard a yes. It yes. was a, a, whimper, a whimpered yes, but I heard a yes. So there's a few areas. So 
what's interesting about my background is I really haven't had long tenures and that's always a sticking point and I haven't gone to college. However, companies like LinkedIn and Salesforce have done awesome things from equalizing pay for men and women to lifting the college bias. Like all like Coca Sexton talks about it, but when you don't have a degree and you apply to companies, the algorithm just kicks you out. Whenever I prospect, I have 200 to 300 in common. I probably have a thousand in common. So I have nodes and hypernodes. So whenever I add someone, I don't have to do, uh, I don't have to do anything because there's so much social proof. Well, I have 200 connections in common. It's like a, uh, congruence one of these Cialdini processes where it's like I should be friends so like I do have a competitive advantage by having such a big social network I my recruitment layer is, is amazing because I'm always matchmaking my friends I can be the marketing conduit my marketing team now um, it's it's awesome like when I release an article or we go to the blog sometimes instead of the blog we release through my profile onto so, so that so and to you the personal brand actually does correlate with success it does expertise. It does. I'm just trying to get clarity around your answer. Yeah. Okay. I'm just concerned because I don't want young folks or people starting out to go full bottle on just social branding and media because it's really, as right. long as you're supporting what you actually do at your core, it's enough stake and not too much sizzle, then it's great. I think it also has to do, you know, in today's world. So I, I might, I think I'm disagreeing with you is that I don't mind if the, if the, you know, the younger people earlier in their generation or even older people who are trying to figure this out go hard on social as long as there's context and execution to it, right? It's not just about thought and doing something, right? Like, so, you know, it's, it, that to me is what helps build that piece, right? Um, because, you know, anybody can go out and build their algorithm around just having enough connections and writing something, but but it only works if you make those connections engage and that only typically they, that engagement either forces someone to think either to agree with you or disagree with you. Sadly, too often it's to disagree with you or force them to engage by making a comment. Right. So right. I don't care. You know, look, if, if a 23 year old or 24 year old comes in and can drive, you know, a few thousand connections and has decent comment and, I'm all for it. I definitely sort of get annoyed because I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, I become the grumpy old man of, wait a minute, I had to slave away at this. They've got it easier than me. Right. Um, you know, that's where I, I, I put on the martyr hat, right. Um, <laughs> you know, how dare you? Um, but why is that their fault? I mean, it's easier for me than it was from, you know, generations above me. Right. So to some extent it just sort of happens. Um, so, so, that that being said, the part I do agree with you is there needs to be something executionable there, right? They've got to be able to execute, right? Um, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, the, the thought of, you know, I, I had said this yesterday uh, to Colin, which is, you know, stop thinking of himself as Colin, you know, CRO, senior VP, whatever at Aircall, but he needs to think of himself as Colin LLC, which I, sounds like you figured out. You're Justin Michael LLC. You've you've businessized yourself in a way, and you figured out how to leverage that um, for the companies you work for. What's interesting, back to Scott's point, though, will it become a job requirement um, only for those people who get it? Right, the engineering folks, the 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 you know 
the kids who are coming out of college or dropping out of college because they've got a great idea and they're able to execute on that idea, they're too scientific to understand the social element, right? Yeah. And if, if we go in there, we, you know, anyone like us or someone with a social brand, you can't go in pitching those people on social. You got to go yeah. pitch those people on execution and social is part of that execution, right? And yeah. it's going to take them a while to get that concept because they don't. It's just not how they're wired any more than I'm not wired like Justin of uh, getting geeked out on certain things, right? Or Justin's brother, right? So, so it, it's interesting. I don't know that it's a job requirement. I think it's something that the smartest people will look for, right? I think that those who get it will get it. Maybe people will kind of go, oh, wow, I never thought about that. I should look and see if my next VP of sales has 5,000 connections or 30. I should look to see if my new VP of sales is going to how often they post and what kind of things they post. If they write controversial posts, am I okay with that? Right. right. Like that's the part that they don't know they've never been taught. And frankly, nobody taught it to any of us. Like it's still early on the business side of social. Right. I think you could probably as much as, you know, look, I don't do Instagram, but I cannot deny the business that's been built just around the Kardashian social media business. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. She's, I mean, look, when somebody becomes a billionaire, right. And yes, she had a leg up, but my, you know, so did other people in the business world, they have legs yeah. up and they took advantage of it and they took it to another level. So I can't criticize that as much as I might be annoyed by someone. So many, so many ways to respond. Um, so it's really interesting. I, the riches are in the niches. If you look at my career, it's there's some sales tool stuff like selling sales navigator and, and working on outbound works, which I feel is like a meta, like all of us as sellers need to master our technology. So I wrote a book recently called technology quotient TQ. It's going to come out on Harper Collins. I'm a huge fan of addicted to the process. Um, I stayed in a niche of mobile marketing. I worked for the leading mobile marketing solutions by category. And because I had that niche, it, it, pin, it comes back to your question of my social network has thousands and thousands and thousands of these user acquisition experts who run this tech. And so as I do interview with a company, um, and we've done this in companies, we've looked for, well, if we have a candidate who has 75 connections in common, they probably haven't sold in the space because most of the top sellers in mobile have at least 500 to 1,000. I mean, in fact, my former um, COO has 1,000 in common, which I call hypernodal because with like super scale networks, like uh, Justin Welsh and I, or Scott and I will have a thousand in common because we our, our sales leader base, you're interested in this innovation, there'll be this wild overlap. Now, I'm not into ageism. I'm an egalitarian. I'm not into bias. So I also believe that you need to look past that, but it's, it is a plus. <laughs> it's huge if someone really gets social. And then it's also a weakness if it's like, well, you're on social media 50 hours a week. How many Zoom meetings does that back out into? How much funnel is that driving? Because the yeah, I mean, you, to, you still have to be able to execute all the basics of the of the job and execute them very, very well. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, yeah. just a talking head, which is cool, and you can have a podcast. But at the end of the day, like yeah, but you're but then you're not but you're not going to be an operator. You're not going to be an operating, you know, head of sales or head of head of marketing if if you can't do the the basics, right? Yeah, Oops. you're on mute, Richard. Yeah, Justin, how do you leverage that, right? If you if someone if your reps are social. Right. And we've seen this a lot where there's social, there's social reps who, who run into the 
sales or CEO leader who's like, no, you got to make 50 dials and, and 50 emails, or even if it's 30 dials and 30 emails. And then the social guys like, look, I can do so much more on LinkedIn and drive way more conversations. But how do you, when do we get to start to measure that? When's LinkedIn going to open the API so we can actually figure that stuff out? Or more importantly, yes. how do you hack that? What have you done? Because you're clearly the hack around that stuff. What advice do you have? Yeah, so I believe I really have hacked everything in sales and everything in, in, in working in sales and moving up and down in sales. And there's probably more in all humility. I, I probably have learned 1%, but I have had some tactics. One is my best managers are like, you know, Justin, you're either going to execute this job or you're not. You know, I can ride you and micromanage you and make sure you do all the activities, but if your heart's not in it, it's going to be weak. So here's the thing I do with reps. Are you the email king? Great. Give me, give me 200 emails a day. Give me sequencer, learn, outreach, learn. Be the best ever at that. You don't ever have to pick up the phone. If you can get me to the bridge group 11 opportunities median or whatever it is for an enterprise and it's hard or it's pharma and it's five, but whatever the median is, like it's, it's like cannonball run. Like one car is going to go crazy fast and cry foul the law and the other is going to go slow and steady and get there. Like if you're the email king or queen or if you're the, the calling person, I just care about the results. When I hit the one-on-one -on -one with you, if you're all programmatic sequencing, let's take a look at your outreach and talk about personas, ICP, subject lines, and all the digital stuff. I'm game with that. If you're only cold calling, I got 10,000 hours of that. And I'm not going to micromanage you as the rep. I'm going to look at your pipe, medic, bant, qualify. So, so, here's, so here's a question for you. So how do you scale a sales organization if every single person is doing their own thing that they're specializing in? Does that not make your job much harder? That, that, that is, in, in my opinion, like very doable when you've got a small team of four or five, yep. like you've got right now. But explain to me how you would do that with 50 salespeople or 100 salespeople or 500. Because that, that, in my experience, um, runs the risk of, of becoming, you know, untenable. You're totally right. Like the greatest military strategy is Napoleonic. It's guerrilla warfare that changes on the ground. So the truth to, to the matter is since Salesforce and exact target and LinkedIn and some of the bigger corporations or startup within a corporation where there's a lot of codification and process that came to the table. Um, most of these mobile startups that have raised between 10 and 200 million, believe it or not, have small tiger teams of really advanced technical and experienced salespeople. These roles are very hard to get because it's network expertise, subject matter, and then you have to have the Rolodex and then you have to do it. I closed five deals uh, last week during the height of all this with a lot of harrowing the last two weeks to see my pipe slip and white knuckle and believing in myself and having faith in my process. <laughs> Cause I'm like, wait, is the world ending here? Right? So you're right. If, if it's bigger, you have to, there has to be some code to it. Like in, in Seattle, I worked for a top 20 startup called tune and I helped to build the sales development division. And that's where we really did get into. I'd like to see, you know, this many call touches per day, this type of sequence going out, and, and more guardrails. So there's enough creativity in how they do the research and they reach out, but it's not just a free for all and everyone's doing it differently. Like I think it's important to build a playbook or a rubric of what's followed. And it's, it's interesting managing reps. I had I think some reps who set all the meetings. Wow. We're getting 20 meetings a month. Then not a lot of opportunity. Then I had some, a lower opportunity count, but it converted to revenue. So you know, creating funnels, creating consistency. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of your point, Scott, because I don't want it to turn into a free for all where it's unmanageable. But I think there's, there's a couple of things. So one, um, and I, and I know this coming from 
having worked with the mobile app, I worked with a company a long time ago, Justin called Yozio, that had a great opportunity and then we slipped, we missed. Um, and, but those growth hackers, right? Those engineers absolutely know how to manage each little piece of this in a way that while it is micromanaging, it's with purpose and result and making a decision, which I do think is what sales reps thrive upon, particularly the, the younger generation of sales reps. They want to be taught how to do this and why this should work. So that's why I think it's easier for them to adopt the technology of these things versus, you know, someone like me who's, you know, older than both of you. And I, you know, I, I I'm getting to that, you know, oh God, you know, please TikTok. Now I got to pay attention to this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Learn a new thing. Yeah. 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 You know, I broke um, off a snap. So, I couldn't do it. Disappearing so messages. I think it's in the DNA, but I, I'll come back to Scott and I'll challenge Scott and say, but Scott, you control it through the message in the medium, meaning Scott, you know how to write a script. You're smart. And, and I've seen you do this where you write the script and you test it in an email and you give it to your best email people to do it. You test it to your phone people and you give it to your best phone people. And then you try to cross pollinate. Not to say that you can't have them both. So I, I feel like I like Justin's approach in the sense of go meet the rep where they're at, go meet them at their strength. Right. Um, and look, you know, if, if you know the guy home runs on, on a low inside pitch, well, you know, that's good. So I, I sort of see it. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it opposite to Scott, but there will be a challenge to growing it. But, even Scott, you can tell me there are a whole host of other challenges, even when you do have it all dialed in and you've managed three different cities and three different reps and you got, you know, geographic personalities, you know, the South versus the Northeast versus the Southwest. So I think you're just and you're, creating, you're, you're adding you're adding layers of, of complexity. I mean, I think that the, the, the best point is that, um, you know, Justin's like, look, it works when you've got a small, as he's calling them, tiger team. And I and I completely agree with that. Um, I, I don't know that it would work with 500 reps or a hundred reps and these kinds of orgs that I've, that I've built. I would have to have so many different, like mini teams. I'd have to have the email team, the cold call team, the inbound team, the LinkedIn team. And, you know, I, maybe that's a direction that things will end up going. That's an interesting thought experiment, but, um, it's I've never built something like that. And I don't know anybody who's built something like that to scale. So there's, there's a, there's a thread literally this week going around on modern sales pros about this. Hey, I've got outreach or sales loft and now I have 500 SDRs. How many sequences or cadences can be managed? How many do I let my reps and keep making their own sequences and cadences? Because then you can't get any, any growth or, or alignment to that. So, to Scott's point, I think we're finally starting to see that and we know that that's the next level, right? But that's where AI is really going to kick in, in my opinion, right? AI is going to kick in when, oh, we can measure all these sequences and things and we can now tell you rather than, hey, let me dump it in a report and go try to analyze the report and figure out what the fuck it means, right? You guys so, have you guys have hammered some amazing points. Um, one, I am connected to a PhD named Mary Shea, and she's looking for novel models that break the tradition of SDRAE. We think of predictable revenue in what I've titled the SDRAE industrial complex. You might have, you might have just hit, hit on one here. Yeah, so right. there's supply chain and specialization of having these little elite units within that are doing different components. 
is really interesting. Um, as far as the future of sequencers or what's being called sales engagement, because I know sequence is really a name for outreach and cadence is sales loft and now Zant inside sales.com. Now what Zant is saying is that even enterprise reps on slower sales motions can use automation and we can use predictive. So which lead, which time is it four touches? Can I look at big anonymized data and be like a baseball card? Like here's a prospect. She likes to get four phone calls an in mail and an email. And on the fifth time usually responds with an ACV of 25 K. Yeah. I mean, that would be phenomenal, but, but then the, the flip side, you better have a rep then who's willing to make those four phone calls and, and not, and not just the person who wants to sit and close the deal over, over email. And you better have somebody who knows how to make touches via LinkedIn and, and other social channels. Well, you pick, you've just picked up the classic, um, I mean, I think of the, the movie like River to My People from Lawrence of Arabia because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can <laughs> just email them four times and the rep just yeah. can't do it. They just they can't so, do it. They just can't pick up the phone or some kind of like, uh, Jeb Blunt calls it analysis paralysis, procrastination. So that's what I really look for in reps. That's why I go back to grit and these. these I, I, I think I think that one of the biggest weaknesses that exists in some salespeople and business leaders is this analysis paralysis thing. I I, I tell people you're an overanalyzer. Like you're overanalyzing this. You're overthinking. Scott it, tells me this right? all the time. I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I've, I've been pushing Richard on this for years, and to his credit, he continues to get much, much better about it. Um, I I'm, consider myself fortunate to not have that DNA, that genetic code. Like, something comes into my brain, I think about it, and then I act on it. Or I don't act on it, because I decide it's shit or whatever. Um, but that, but it's interesting, that, that paralysis by analysis, I think, kills salespeople. They overthink like what's the exact right approach to this particular phone call or what's the exact right you know message in this uh you know outreach email or this blog post or whatever i'm like dude the, the best thing you could do is be done with it just put something that's a minus out there b plus out there and let's let's kind of move on man um yeah geez. i don't i don't know go ahead yeah, so getting things done is more important than colorful theory. That's why I would say that going back to my hella skiing analysis is go ski, like go surf. Like the biggest thing I learned from you in just short conversations, and I don't think you were even trying to learn. You're just looking at this, you know, kid that had all this complexity. It's like, just go sell. There's this amazing um, RVP at uh, Salesforce named Tom Riedel, former football player, went on to sell, sell through, and now he's some amazing uh, running these organizations. I sat down with him at Salesforce. He looked me in the eye. I said, you're overthinking this. She, she said, just look your customer in the eye, look them in the eye and say, we are going to transform your business and know that you will. And that's it. I, and it's it's so my, my head exploded. I'm like, I can't, where's the 300 pages to back that up? I, I, <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> going to people all, I can say this all the time to people. And then I get stuck in my own way. Scott and I, Last week we're going through this and I, I've been going through this sort of, you know, my own version of imposter syndrome and like feeling a little stuck about what to do with the business given the COVID thing. And, 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 uh, Scott's like, well, dude, just, you'll figure it out, pick something, go do it and reiterate. Like that's kind of it. Like that's the basics of it. 
right? It's not more complex than that. It's just, it's an easier piece of advice to give than to accept, I think, for those of us who do like to overanalyze. It's true. Like people reach out to me for mentorship. I've said some people are just like, you think you're the best rep in the world, don't you, for your book? I'm like, no, I'm just trying to say you've got tech stacks and you probably don't use them. Try to use them, you know? And the thing, the thing I learned about myself is that by just getting experience, reps, like that's what my mentors tell me. Like I've sat in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of on-site meetings um, for mobile technology with the top apps in the world, the top enterprise in the world. I've flown all over the country, lived over the, all over the country and just paid dues and paid dues and paid dues again and just kept set, sitting in the meetings. And what it developed this pattern, it, like gut instinct, pattern recognition. Like I, I have a political. Those are, those, those are different though. Like pattern yeah. recognition is not totally gut instinct, I don't think. I guess they're two different things. Like one is, is recognizing patterns, but then having this inner voice that kind of guides me in real time. In a way you could say winging it, but even when I prepare. Well, I think the inner, I, sorry to inter interrupt, but yeah, I, like, I think the, the, inner, the inner voice is compelling you to act on your ability. So you see the pattern. Right. And then the inner voice, the gut feeling is the one who's telling you to act on this particular pattern that you've seen. That's how that's how I think about it. Scott, that's also where you're challenged. Right. There are certain things. Not always. Yeah, I don't have guts. Is that where you're going? I'm missing half my. Yeah, guts. Is that where no, you're going with this? totally. That's it. It's like Scott's like, oh, my God, this is a great idea. And I, sometimes I'm Scott's gut to say, yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. Right. Tell and sales got started. It's how our our yeah. webinar on, on uh, Monday for 420 is happening. Um, around sales and yeah. uh, you know, things like that. So it, it, it's, it's interesting to see that because, and again, we've talked about this before. This is where Scott and I are very complimentary to each other. I don't know how that happened, but this is where we can encourage and push each other. So Yeah, I just, I love those concepts because I think about 10 years ago, I, so I came out of telemarketing and I actually was pretty scaled too. So in a former life, like, when I was 23, I had a floor of 300 at the same outfit. I ended up being the supervisor and then a manager and a sales trainer. I'd splice in and listen to calls and do downtones and nine-minute scripts. And I had all the rebuttal sheets memorized and QA and clients. And I ran that offshore for an education lead gen com uh, uh, company. And I was spending all my time in Costa Rica, not in the, night, in, not in the beach parts, but in San Jose <laughs> at these centers. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I... Uh, I had no, I had, we all have pattern recognition. We all have gut instinct, no matter what career we come out of. But as you're looking to develop in sales and outbound sales, the best way to develop it is by doing, you know, you know the more calls, the more sequences, the more A-B tests, yeah. the more you can just get in the arena and try things. And frankly, I've worked for probably too many companies and that's been a learning. And it, 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 like, there's a yin and yang to all the decisions we make that develops those two core components. Um, and it's always improving. I mean, I would, I'd ask you, Scott and Richard, like those two concepts, like how has your pattern recognition changed in the last, you know, from the transition from sales leader consulting and also what is happening with your pattern recognition and gut instincts around this whole, the crisis thing, because I feel like we're hitting the fifth stage of grief here where everyone's accepting and we're going back into business mode. I agree with you on that. I also, yeah. I also think too, Justin, you and I are in California. So we're in the fifth week of lockdown and we're ready to move forward. There are other parts of the country who aren't, right? right. That's, that's often how California is though. We're, we're first into a recession and we're first out, right? Just based on the nature of our economy and our business world. Yeah. But, I, but I agree with you. I'm kind of ready to start talking about business again. And I'm, I'm being a little less concerned about whether or not my messaging offends somebody because 
like, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I can't, I can be empathetic. Um, my business still has to go on and we need to at least be able to say that I can ask it in a unique way that says, you know, what type of business are you? You know, are you the one who's just in lockdown mode or are you the one who's exploring, but not executing? And are you actually executing? I can ask it in a very polite way. But my intent is to find the executioners, right? People who are actually executing at the moment or wanting to execute. So you always say that out to me, Richard, because you always have such eloquent responses in MSP, like any forums you're on in social, I, I notice the attention to detail and the depth and it's not wasted. Like these, some of the responses are very detailed, but it's because yeah. it needs to yeah, be. Right. I, sh I should just take all my MSP things and put them in a book. That'd probably be you the easiest. Should. It's so good. I <laughs> it's so easy to do that. That probably should be my first book. And I, I was reading those before I ever met you. I would see up oh, there's Richard Harris with the weighing in. Yeah. <laughs> But we're we're uh, almost out of time here. It's been great chatting with you. It feels like we could nice. chat for another hour hour or two. But totally. Um, is there anything that we can do, you know, for for you? We try to end every show with the offer of of help and um, whatever form you know that that takes. Uh, you know, you got any questions for us? Is something that you want to talk about that you're that you're working on? Like, what can we do to support you and and your efforts? Thank you. Well, I honestly, I was involved in a book called Combo Prospecting that my mentor, Tony J. Hughes, released. It was very, had similarities to Fanatical Prospecting or Mike Weinberg, you know, and I was a case study in there. So I wrote my own book, really inspired by Addicted to the Process because I loved the hard hitting length and it was utility. It was like you could read this book in a sitting or two and you could go try this thing and you can use it over your existing process. So I love that. So I wrote Technology Quotient, which is okay, SDRAE, it's not going away. And no matter who you are, where you are right now, you're grounded and you have tools, whether that's Excel or Gmail or Slack, or you've got all the sequencers and whiz-bang conversational intelligence, right? So you can scale yourself by becoming one with the UI and the UX. Uh, unfortunately, the tech is here. We can't really avoid it. So I wrote TQ to help you upskill. And it's right now I'm giving it away for free. I'm sure the publisher is, uh, <laughs> I don't know what they think about that. We only have 40,000 words for now. We'll have 60. But if you contact me on LinkedIn at Justin Michael, I will send you a copy of that. I think I've added both of you on there. Yeah. That's great. Uh, <laughs> hey, when, are you hoping to, when are you hoping to get it published and have it actually come out like on, you know, Amazon and what have you. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy with their process and makes sense. It's like we're finishing off stuff in the next couple months for February 2021 release. And I've actually challenged them to say, let's go ebook. Let's do some kind of offer because I think um, in this time, your understanding of your tech stack, not IQ and EQ, those are important and AQ adaptation, but TQ has been something I've seen with reps that excel. They just embrace the technology and just pick it up and they they learn it they get certified they roll up their sleeves they want to know what the sdr is doing even if they're ae so yeah i thought for sure you were going to say you're trying to push the timeline up so you can get it in people's stockings for christmas i seriously wanted them to immediately release it but <laughs> the process is the process i can't yeah. break publishing you know and and books now it's yep. like the music business went on i mean books are a vehicle for our brand so that's another thing i would encourage sellers to do yeah is write something if you can been cool. good chatting with you, man. Take care. Stay in touch as, as usual. And uh, look forward to seeing the book come out and reading it and everything that you're doing. I wish you good luck, man. I really appreciate it, Scott and um, Richard. Thank okay. you for the opportunity. Always a pleasure, man. Safety, prosperity. You guys are like 
Awesome. I'm going to keep following the content, keep sharing. Thanks everyone who's listening. Yeah. We'll see you at Surf and Sail soon. Gonna get down there. <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> All right. Cheers.